0: the record that wasn't ben's fault that was my fault because i put mark and then i changed it this week so he didn't know that um so we are in matthew chapter 11 verses uh 28 through the end of the chapter and then we'll actually dive into chapter uh 12 a little bit so we're in a series right now entitled rest quiet souls quickened hearts um Before we dive in, though, I want to make just a couple of announcements to let you know some of the things that are going on. Some of you should have gotten a bulletin on your way in. On the back of that, you can find out some of the things going on here at the church. We have a women's retreat coming up in October. The details will be there. We also have a Getting Connected class today. That is for those who are interested in learning more about the church, interested in learning more about what it means to be a part of this specific local church family, Um, We have a class today where we provide lunch for those um, who uh, attend, and then it's uh, a time when we can just answer uh, questions and just have a dialogue together about what's going on uh, in the church. So if that's something you're interested in, let uh, me know, and it will be after the second service today. But we also have one more announcement about our upcoming uh, Loving the City celebration, and uh, Tanya Nash is going to come up and do that.
1: Good morning, church family. Um, The passage of scripture in John 15 is one of my absolute favorites, and I'm sure that some of you are really familiar with it. But one verse in particular where Jesus is speaking and he says, as the Father has loved me, I am, so I have loved you that to me is an amazing verse because it speaks so deeply to my heart that Jesus would love me as he as the father loves him and that love is abiding that love is enduring it's intimate And it's life-changing. And so when I sit and I think about that love, it just propels me. My life is changed. And so a couple verses later, Jesus says, So go and love other people with that same love. So next week, we get that opportunity. Um, we get to share that love with the folks in our community right around us. And this is our community. Um, next Sunday is Loving the City celebration. It's called Loving the City because that's what we want to do. We want to love the people around us. And so um, you can come out from 430 to 730 and play games and eat food food and um, get to do lots of different things. Um, Some of you, though, might be thinking, um, those kinds of events are hard for me, Um, and I confess that I've been there. Sometimes it can be hard for me, too, and so we've set up some things that you can do Um, to help facilitate relationships with the people in our community. So you could play games with the kids. You could get into a great cornhole tournament with somebody you don't know. Maybe you've just met them and you say, hey, will you be my partner? We're going to do this cornhole tournament. Um, You can sit and fellowship over a meal. Of course, everything is free, um, but you could sit and intentionally look for somebody that you haven't met before and strike up a conversation, and I know some of you are sitting there going, Strike up a conversation with somebody I don't know. I got to confess, I don't do small talk well, so I understand that. Um, But let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, if you are a believer, you have the spirit of the living God in you who can give you the power to do that. And you just ask him and watch him work because he's amazing to answer that prayer. So I encourage you all to come next week. Um, It's going to be a great time. If you want to... um, get involved in a more formal way. Check your bulletin. You can contact Heather Gregg. We still do need a little bit more help, um, and we'll look forward to seeing you guys there. Thanks.
0: Thanks, Tanya. And it is always a fun time to be out there together to get to know one another and get to know this community. So, so thankful to God and uh, that we get that chance. Um, Today, like I said, is a second sermon in our series entitled Rest, Quiet Souls, Quickened Hearts, and we do find ourselves today in Matthew 11. What I want to do is I want to read um, verses 28 and 29 and 30, and then chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. That's our, our passage for the day, okay? So let me read it, and then we'll pray, and we'll spend some time together. The Word of God says this, Matthew eleven, twenty-eight. 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, at the same time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck the heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would release our grip upon our own lives. You would release us from that inordinate desire for control. That you would take the burden off of our back where we are deceived into thinking that we can bring ourselves peace by our busyness or our actions. Father, I pray that you would expose and uproot, even unravel the sin that's deep within us. But so that not we would focus in on the sin, but on you, the Savior, who gave your life so that we're not characterized by sin anymore. We're characterized as children, no longer orphans. And so we ask that you would grant rest for the soul. We pray that this would work itself out into rhythms in our our life that would make a difference and would help our pursuit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So the title of today is Finding Rhythms, Finding Our Rhythms of Rest. And so, this week, I had what, when I looked at them at first, thought it was like 100 to 150 cards. Um, It turned out to be about 70, but these cards represent individuals' lives, individuals that were struck by God just last week, who came up and wrote down ways that I could be praying for them and for... Every one of you, I prayed for you this week. But when we begin to think that for 70 people, God was stirring up a heart to say, I want you more. I want you more than I do some certain sin. I see the deficiency in me and I want Christ. If God were to blow upon these lives and we would see more and more pressing into Jesus, this church would be upside down. But on these cards, they were words of weakness, fragility, fatigue. But the beauty was, every bit of it was taken to Jesus. There was this sense that Jesus is enough. He wants to meet me in my difficulty. And so here's what's always hard. As I was on sabbatical, it's one thing to get a a lesson that kind of hits the head, and then it's like, yeah, that makes sense, let's do it. But a lesson is not learned until it's applied. A lesson is not learned until it's applied. A mechanic can tell me all day long that he gets how to fix a car. But if he's never taken the book smarts and gone to actually try to fix a car, he hasn't learned his lesson. The athlete can say, yes, I know how this game works. But until they take what they know and they go out and they practice it, the lesson hasn't been learned. They've just got something here. If you've learned information and have sought to put it into practice and not sought to put it into practice, the lesson is not learned. But here's the good news. It doesn't have to be implemented or put into practice perfectly. It's just Let's delight in the small steps. And when God says, come to me and find rest, this lesson is applied by our imperfect taking one more step towards him than we did the day before. Father, forgive me for not walking towards you right now. Set me free. So some of you might have felt a sense of relief and victory this week, and others of you might have been crushed by failure. I said that I wanted peace and rest and all of a sudden I was a wreck inside. I got angry at people. Well, rather than declaring failure, I want to encourage you to declare war. I want to encourage you to declare war. Let your failures, your mistakes, your sins let it serve as a way to remind you that the journey for rest is not something you experience and then it's over. It is a fight. It is a continual battle. And that's the journey that we are on today. So the aim of today is this. As we seek rest for our souls, we must find intentional rhythms of life that cultivate rest. So as we seek to find rest for our heart, what we learned last week is the rest under the rest. A rest that vacations can't solve and TV doesn't fix. It's the rest of significance. It's the rest of meaning and purpose. As we seek rest for our soul, not just our body, we must find intentional rhythms of life that cultivate rest. We're going to see it in three ways. Here we go. One, how to find rest. And that is we come to Jesus. Two, how to keep rest. That is we cultivate a Sabbath heart. And three, how to experience rest. We quiet our souls. One, how to find rest. We come to Jesus. Two, how to keep rest. We cultivate a Sabbath heart. And three, how to experience rest. We quiet our souls. Let's look at number one. How to find rest. Come to Jesus. It couldn't be any clearer. Jesus says it with his mouth. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, every one of you, who are so weighed down and exhausted By trying to work your way to God, so weighed down and exhausted by trying to find significance by your accomplishments and what you can boast in that you can do. Those of you who are so wearied by being measured by performance and quantity, those of you who are so burdened by comparing yourself to other people and constantly feeling less than, come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest is found in Christ. The weight of the yoke of the people he was talking to, many of them, the Jews, and they had a yoke around their neck of the law. And they thought by being a good person, that was enough. By adhering to certain laws, then there was acceptance. And Christ saying, is saying, you need a different master. The yoke was a symbol of Submission. And it's interesting here. Jesus doesn't say come and to be set free from being controlled or from being mastered. He says, be under my mastery. Do you see that? Look at verse 29 and 30. Take my yoke upon you. It's not that you lose a yoke altogether. It's that you get his. He's your master. He's the one that leads you. And yes, it's probably appropriate to say yes we are the ox right <laughs> he's the master it gets led by this yoke this thing that guided the ox through the field take my yoke upon you and learn from me because i'm gentle and lowly not heavy-handed my yoke is easy and the burden is light he's saying exchange the burden Of trying to find your own significance in your performance. Exchange it for my grace. Grace makes heavy things light. It makes heavy things light. And so he says, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. Now what's interesting is this. What does he follow up this discussion on rest with? A discussion on the Sabbath. Matthew leads us straight from Come to Jesus to find rest for the depth of the soul. And then he begins to talk about how the Jews sought to label rest. And ultimately what we will see is that they missed it. They missed it. Let's see how they missed it. It says in chapter 12 that Jesus was walking through the grain fields and he and his disciples were picking off the grain and eating them because they were hungry. Well, in the oral tradition... That was forbidden to do on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees, those are the really good law keepers, they wave the flag of foul. Nope, not allowed. You know you're not supposed to be doing that. And they're trying to shoot holes into Jesus' leadership. And so Jesus says in verse three, he gives us two stories, two examples. One found in 1 Samuel 21 of David, when he and his companions were being pursued by Saul and their life was being threatened, he goes into the temple and eats the bread that's only supposed to be for the priest. He was starving and he ate. It wasn't lawful for him to do it, but the priest told him to do it. And then you have a second story. That story is found up in verse 5 of chapter 12. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? This takes us to Numbers 28, 9 through 10, which required the priests to actually do work on the Sabbath, the work of sacrificing animals for the forgiveness of sin. And so why does he... I've always read this and thought, this is just really confusing. Why does he mention those? Well, he tells us in verse 6 his point. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than the temple is here. The stories are meant to show us, not that Jesus is saying, my disciples were starving just like David, and I'm on a path to sacrifice just like the priest, so I should get a pass like everybody else gets a pass. No, He's not trying to equate the two circumstances. All he's doing is to say, there have been exceptions, even in the law itself, to the keeping of the Sabbath, and there have been exceptions for circumstances like David's when the law was set aside. And Jesus is saying this, The aim of the Sabbath was not to remember rules, but to remember and prize God. And they missed it. They were so bent on looking at the rule that they lost the Savior. The law was added to serve as like guardrails. Let's make sure that we understand What these guardrails were to do, they were to keep the people of God walking on the straight and narrow because they had proven they couldn't. Why was the Sabbath given? Let's just take a quick history lesson, biblical history lesson, okay? The Sabbath was to communicate their trust and their ultimate satisfaction in God's good work for them. It was about their rest in Him and His finished work. Remember this in Genesis 2? Genesis 2, 1-3, this is when we get this initial concept of rest, and rest called a Sabbath. Genesis 2, 1-3, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and set it apart, made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Meaning, what does it mean for God to rest? No, he was not exhausted. He did not get fatigued. Rest meant he was finished with the work that was before him and everything was right day one good day two good day three good good all the way up day seven very good he had finished his work everything needed for human flourishing was done and God looks at it and says I am pleased with this work it is finished it is finished and therefore rest was meant to say, let's rest in my finished work. Now, there was a problem. The problem was the people of God did not rest in God's finished work, right? They did not trust him and his guidelines. It's called the sin of Adam and Eve. Sin enters into the world, and it disrupts Eden rest. It disrupts it. The rest of the soul is shattered into thousands of pieces like a rock through glass. And so now we have rest is supposed to be being completely satisfied with what God has done for you. That is rest. Adam and Eve were not completely satisfied in what God had done for them. They wanted more. And so now what we find is the people of Israel in captivity in Egypt, God delivers them, rushes them out, and then on Mount Sinai, he gives them the law. Why was the law given? One of those laws being, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Why was the law given? Well, Galatians 3.19 tells us. Why then the law? It was added because of transgression until the offspring should come to whom he made the promise. Now, so that you don't lose that, he's saying the law was given because there's a bunch of sinners out there who have forgotten me. So I have to give guardrails, guidelines, so that when they hit them, they hit the law, it bounces them back in to remember me. But what they did was they started staring at the guardrail rather than the road. They made a huge deal of the law rather than seeing as the law is something to point them to the time when the Messiah would come. When this offspring, it's a word that's used in the book of Genesis to describe the coming Messiah. When the offspring was to come, the guardrails weren't needed because Christ would be this beacon light and they would run right after him. But they blew it. They they missed the point of the Sabbath. They started staring at the laws rather than staring at the point, which was the Sabbath was to push you to remember God. So... Let's listen to this command that was given. The law was added because of their transgression. Their transgression was they were forgetting God. So here's the law. Let's read it from Deuteronomy chapter 5, 12, 13, and 15. It says this. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. And then verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. That's the command that was given because their hearts were crazy rebellious. It was given to the people of Israel until the Messiah was to come, according to Galatians 3. So, let's, let's think about just briefly because this has massive ramifications of how we act now, okay? So we're not just looking at backwards just for kicks, good brain teasers. This is going to affect where we head, okay? So what were, I've summarized it into four main points that the Sabbath was supposed to point us to. It was supposed to point the people of Israel to four main concepts. Number one, that they would remember him. Two, that they would remember his work. Three, that they would cease from work, declaring God as their provider. And four, they would cease from work to live in their limits, to realize their body has limits. So, the Sabbath was given to them, number one, that they might remember him, that they might worship and adore him. This is when the Jews gathered, was on the seventh day. It was the Sabbath day. They gathered for corporate worship. It was also to remember God's work, his work of setting them free. In Deuteronomy 5, you heard this. Do you remember when you were a slave and you were brought out? Remember that, he's saying. So the Sabbath was there so that you would remember that you've been delivered. Once a slave, now delivered. The third concept was to cease from work. That is, God is my ultimate provider. I rest in his finished work. Now, what's interesting is, just as equal of a command in this fourth of the Ten Commandments, just as equal is this. Six days you should work. Work's good. And to not work is to be slothful and disobedient. Six days work. One day rest. That's what he gave them. And so that one day was meant to be a declaration that for six days, I do what I can do. On that day, it's a declaration that ultimately you're my provider, not my work. And then finally, it was your body needs it. Even the Sabbath rhythms were created where the land needed it. Land was supposed to get a, a Sabbath where anything could grow up. There was there a was sense of rhythms were needed because of the limitations of who we are. So here's a summary. The summary of the Sabbath is this. The people of Israel were to rest in his work and rest from their work or your work. So we rest in God's work. They were to rest in their work. And now, let's jump back into the world of Jesus here, okay? Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, he says, something greater than the temple is here, verse 6. And if you had known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. This is where they were looking at the sacrifice, looking at the law, rather than looking at the aim of the law, which was to love God and to love your neighbor. And then verse 8 is the clincher sentence. For the Son of Man... That's Jesus himself is Lord, Master, Boss, the one that everything points to of the Sabbath. Jesus came, and when he came, the work of God that was finished at the beginning in Genesis 2 was unraveled by our sin, and therefore everything pointed to the coming Messiah who would one day finish the work of redeeming sinners. What were the last words off of Jesus' mouth on the cross? It is finished. The work is complete. Rest can happen in me, in me. So he says, come to me. I'm the one the Sabbath was pointing to. Stop focusing on the day and the rule. And look at the one where rest is found. It's the one that will finish it all on the cross. Who will finish it all by rising from the dead three days later. And the call is to anyone in here, come to Christ for salvation. Come to Jesus to be made whole. The message of the gospel. Don't come to impress God by your deeds. He's impressed by his sons. And the leaning on our works to try to control everything, to try to remove anxiety, it's like putting all our weight on a broken crutch. And if you just cast yourself all on that crutch, and it breaks out from underneath you, you thought it would hold you up and help you, but instead it only made things worse. We must lean on a crutch that's not broken. We must lean upon Christ. So we come humble, needy, spiritually poor. Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And that means the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ. He has come. The law is not needed. We have the law of Christ. He is Lord of the Sabbath. So hear this. The Sabbath was not rejected. It was redefined. It was not rejected. It was redefined in Christ. We are no longer supposed to obey that law of the Sabbath. It's no longer a rule for us like it was the people of Israel because Christ has come. However, the heart of the Sabbath, the Sabbath heart, is the wisdom that God does command us to pursue. So one way to say it is, it's not a rule but a tool to cultivate rest. Sabbath is not a rule but a tool to cultivate rest. Another way to say it is not obey a certain day in a certain way. That's what the Jews did. They obeyed a certain day in a certain way. Paul says, no, that's not how we should think about it. He agrees with Jesus that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Look at Romans 14, 5 through 6. It should be on the screen behind you. Romans 14. One person esteems one day is better than another while another esteems all days alike. Paul says, each one of you should be fully convinced in your own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. Do you see what he's getting at? It's the Sabbath heart. Not a certain day in a certain way. It's the honoring of the Lord. And therefore, how did we summarize the Sabbath? Rest in His work, rest from your work. Rest in His work, rest from your work. That is the summary of the Sabbath heart. And so how do we find rest? We come to Jesus. But how do we keep rest? We must cultivate a Sabbath heart. So this is when we get into what does it mean to kind of take these concepts and kind of implement them into the everyday. Well, when I said that Jesus did not reject the Sabbath, he didn't repudiate it. He didn't say, that's just, it was a a stupid thing. I blew it. No, he's saying, this is a heart we must go after. And he first redefines Sabbath as an eternal rest. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, For we who have believed enter that rest. Let's make sure you're tracking. You trust in Christ that enters you into this Hebrews 4 kind of rest. It's an eternal rest. It's the promise of rest with Jesus forever and ever and ever. That comes from believing. Listen to how he speaks about the contrast. The unbelieving. Those who are the skeptics, rebellious, don't want to submit to God. The wicked, as the Bible calls them. Isaiah fifty-seven twenty: The wicked are like the tossing sea. They cannot rest. There's no peace for the wicked. So he's saying, the rest of the soul in the here and now and the rest for eternity hinges upon faith. And he goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Do you see that? He's redefined it. He didn't reject that there's a Sabbath rest. He's redefining it. There is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever enters, has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God has rested from his. What is this rest? Let's just recap last week. Rest is not a setting. It's his presence. Rest is not a place. It's a person. Rest is not having things go your way. It's a longing for, praying about, seeking for things to go God's way. Rest is not about you doing things perfectly with no mistakes. Rest is faith in Christ. It's not what others think. It's not what you have to show them. It's not how you compare with others. It's not will you be known Rest is confidence and complete satisfaction in what God has accomplished for you. Rest is complete satisfaction in what God has accomplished for you. When you trust His work is enough, you will find rest for your soul. So, although it's not a rule to obey, it's a tool to use, the Sabbath is, in order that we might have the Sabbath heart. Tim Keller says this, the practice of Sabbath is still absolutely necessary. We don't have the rules, but we still have the principle. So in an attempt to avoid the rules, we have gotten rid of trusting in Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath. That is, of resting in his work. This is what happens. When people hear there are no rules, they put this label of, I'm free! It's great! All of a sudden, missing the entire work of the Spirit of God that says, no, no. This is necessary for you. It might look different for different people, one day for one, one for another. But we must trust in Jesus as the current Lord of the Sabbath, resting in his work and resting from our work. So what was the point of the Sabbath? How do we keep the Sabbath? First of all, we realize it's something we're longing for. We're longing for heaven. We're longing for that last day when there will be full and forever rest. But I want to take those four things that we talked about the Sabbath was implemented for and I want to start applying it to now. Because the first one was how do we find rest, that is, coming to Jesus. Now we're talking about how do we keep rest, and that is to cultivate a Sabbath heart. I think the, the same four ways that we talked about the Sabbath in the Old Testament are the same four things that we can learn from here and label them as the Sabbath heart. So number one, remember Him. Remember these four? Remember Him, remember His work, cease from work calling Him provider, and cease from work, acknowledging your limitations. Remember Him. This is what we are doing when we gather week in and week out. But it's also what we are meant to do every single morning. A sense, or during the day sometime, not to put a law on it. Seek the face of God. The Sabbath heart is to not forget God. It is to see and to prize Christ. Friends, just showing up is not the goal of this. What we are doing here right now, the goal is not just to count numbers, fill seats, say hi and bye. The goal of our gathering in this moment is to connect with the living God who promises that He's here with us right now and his promises are fully for us because Christ died for our sins. He paid the penalty, and he rose from the dead to say, I am for you and not against you. Trust in me. Surrender. We gather for a person. We gather to meet Christ. We gather for the face of God. We gather for Holy Spirit fire to come down in power. We gather for conviction and corporate repentance We gather for a longing for unity. We gather that God would stir us up for love. We gather for Christ. And so the Sabbath heart fights not only weekly, but also daily, to say what George Mueller says, Oh God, make my heart happy in you today. I can't tell you how many times my heart was not happy in God this week. Distracted by everything. I had already checked my email, which is a no-no, before I get going. Just takes my mind in a, another direction. And that phrase just came to my mind. Just make your soul happy in me. God was just pressing it upon me. Just make your soul happy first. God can do more in five minutes than we can do in five minutes days, five weeks of our labors. I can't tell you how many times because I have stopped and just sought the face of God and in all of my imperfection saying, I am, I just need you to show up. I need to find my peace in you. And then all of a sudden something that had been a roadblock forever just kind of breaks open. It just kind of breaks open. What I didn't know how to do all of a sudden he teaches me. First things first, remember him. Second, remember his work. Remember his work. I don't know if you remember what it said in Deuteronomy chapter 5. It says, basically, you are free from slavery, therefore observe the Sabbath. Trying to think on this one a little bit. Now, how does that connect? You're free from slavery, therefore observe the Sabbath. Well, first of all, slaves didn't get time off, right? They didn't have that option. But is he saying more by saying, you once were slaves, now observe the Sabbath. He wants them to remember that the work of God is to set slaves free. That's what he does. He sets slaves free. And here's a quote from Tim Keller in a wonderful sermon that I listened to entitled Work and Rest. He says this, if you can't take time off, if you make excuses for why you can't take a break from something, here's what he says. If you don't rest, you are a slave. A lot of you can't say no and are too busy. If you can't set time aside, you are a slave. Slave to ambition, family hopes, others' hopes, but you are a slave. And the Sabbath was meant to be a time that was set aside to say, the yoke of all of those things, family hopes, others' ambitions for me, my own ambitions, the yoke is too heavy. I must come to Christ. I must come to Christ. I don't want to be a slave to those things any longer. So we not only cultivate a Sabbath heart by remembering Him, we remember His work of rescue, our significance is in Him. But we also, there is a ceasing from work that is necessary. What does it do when you work and then you stop working? The stopping of work, whether it's an evening when you do that, taking a full day, which I highly recommend as a Sabbath rest, When you take that time off, you are meant to declare, I am not the ultimate provider. Many of us struggle to give generously, not just to the church, but to anybody, because we ultimately believe we are the ultimate provider. It is intimately connected to our inability to stop. The Sabbath heart says, stop, be still before me, declare that Your work, Sean Cordell, is insufficient. And God is my provider. When you stop, you declare something profound about the human heart. It is deficient, and he is not. It's something profound about what you can do with your hands or with your mouth. I am unable. He is my ultimate provider. The ceasing from work is a physical demonstration of a declaration of the heart. God is my ultimate provider and I can rest in His finished work. It's a rest in His work and a rest from our work. And finally, we cease from work because, I know we don't like to say it, we're limited people. And friends, the Sabbath was meant to flip our limits upside down and to help us to prize our weakness. So many of us are so consumed with our limits, we rehearse our failures. Some have even described their weaknesses, their failures as haunting them and taunting them and torturing them because they're just... They just can't measure up like other people. Their mind is too distracted. They can't think like other people. They can't do what other people can do. It's just their weaknesses are always before them. The Sabbath was actually meant to flip that on its head and to say, prize weakness. Love limits. This is why in Mark chapter 2, when he's talking about the Sabbath, he says, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Man wasn't made in order to observe some day. Sabbath was given to man because man is weak. Man has forgotten God. Man needs sleep. I was reading this book by Kevin DeYoung. Highly recommend it. Crazy busy. Uh, We have it in our resource area for uh, $7. That should save you a little bit of money. But in this book, he says that on average, over the past century, we sleep about two and a half hours less than those who came before us. Two and a half hours less on average, which means some people are sleeping a lot less than that. But God says, I'm the only one that doesn't slumber or sleep. You must sleep. He even says I give rest, I give sleep to those I love. And so limits are actually a good thing. I was driving here this morning, I stopped at a red light. A car zips in front. I'm really thankful for red lights, but it was a limitation on my ability to get here. I got to it, I would rather keep going. No, it stopped me. Was that a good thing? Yes. Are limits of ocean boundaries good for the fish? Well, just take a fish and throw it onto the beach with no water and see how long that no-limit life serves that fish. I remember going to Niagara Falls one time, and the falls are just crazy big, huge. And they have these rails, which seem woefully insufficient, but they have these rails, and you walk up to the rails, and... Me, who is not a huge fan of heights, loves those rails, grabbing onto them real tightly. I was really thankful for the limit. I was really thankful that they said, go this far, but don't go any further. That was a good thing. And God has made us with limits. Your mind is not as sharp as your neighbor's. Your strength is not as strong as somebody else's. They might know numbers and you can't even stand them. We have so many varied weaknesses. So many varied limits. The Sabbath was meant to help us prize our weaknesses. Why? 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 says this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Where you're weak, I show up, and I show out in power. When you are the one that's sufficient and strong, you're the one that gets seen. When you're weak, and all of a sudden something great happens, God gets the credit and the glory. Friends, this was something that was so striking for me. I measured my success in volume, not quality. How much could I get done? There was a bigger was always better. Have you ever fallen into that? There was this sense that I felt like I had to be everywhere. I had to do everything. I had to try to fix everything. And then I read this book, The Imperfect Pastor, by Zach S. Wine, and he says this. You and I were never meant to repent for not being everywhere for everybody. We were not meant to repent for not knowing everything. We were not meant to repent for not fixing every problem all at once. But you and I are meant to repent because we've tried to. We've tried to be everywhere. We've tried to know everything. And we get so insecure when somebody knows something we don't, when somebody can do something we can't. Friends, it's called the body. It's the church. One person will never be able to fix it all except for Christ. If you could, you'd be the Savior. You don't qualify, and neither do I. The resume falls way too short. And I'm okay with that. I wasn't. I fought with all my might for that not to be the case. But I'm okay that I'm a limited man. And you know what that means? There will be sometimes when people come to you and people come to me. And I'm to weigh, oh God, how can I love them? And it will not always be giving them the answer or relieving their suffering. My heart hurts when people suffer. But I can't fix it all. And honestly, God has designed our pain to teach us lessons that only pain can teach us. And if I come in and swoop in and always take care of everything that's hard for my kids, or everything that's hard for my wife, or everything that's hard for you, or you do the same. We will not only be exhausted and worn out, walking around with guilt all the time, we're also removing a blessing from someone else who might be to come alongside that person, or that person who will grow closer to God because of the struggle. Oh, dear friends. The Sabbath is meant to tell us we are limited. This is not mine to bear. It is yours. Some of us need to get used to saying that. It means you listen. It means you care. It means you pray. But you can't know everything. You can't be everywhere. You can't do everything. And let me just say this. Some of you, you our roommates with others of you live with limited people and that is God's design we must create homes that don't get upset at people's limits but homes where we can walk alongside one another and be on each other's team and say I'm limited too. We're not going to make it easy to sin in this home. But we are going to walk towards Christ together. And it's okay to make mistakes. John Piper said this, and I heard this quote over sabbatical, and it radically shook me. Some of you are so frustrated at your limited life. John Piper speaks this beautiful word to us. Occasionally, weep deeply over the life you hoped for. You know that life that you hoped for? You thought things were going to go this way. Occasionally, you should weep deeply over the life you hoped for. Grieve, but then wash your face. Trust God and embrace the life you have. That right there is the Sabbath heart. The Sabbath heart that says, I want to remember you. I'm going to rest in your work because you have done it all. I'm actually going to refrain from certain activities because my body needs rest. And I have limits. So how in the world can you experience it? Some of you, you can think of it this way. Daily, weekly, seasonally, yearly, you need to have rhythms of rest. Daily, you need to cultivate a heart that loves Christ. Weekly, you, I recommend that you take a day off and declare that this day is a day of physical rest. In that sermon by Tim Keller, he listed a few things that maybe we could do On that day off how can we balance our Sabbath time he gave us three he gave three ideas one is have a vocational time do things that you don't normally do when you work some of you ride a bike go running sit on a park bench get away by yourself fantasy football some of you play video games some of you just like to go and to eat food with friends Do something that you don't do when you're working. He gives you those things to enjoy. Another thing is to be inactive. The land got a Sabbath year, and anything that was to grow up was supposed to grow up. Do you ever just sit and allow whatever thought come to your mind come to your mind, and you be okay with not producing? Oh, it's good for the soul, friends. And when you get restless, like I said last week, just sit five more minutes. Just give it just a little bit more time. Balancing Sabbath rest in a physical expression of a cultivated Sabbath heart. How can you experience it? You have avocational time where you're not doing something that you normally do when you work. You have inactive time where you allow whatever grows up to grow up. Except for sin, of course. And then finally, it has to be Godward. The quiet soul before the living God. That's why vacations, just rest physically, won't solve everything. And now we end where we began. Jesus says, come to me. All who are heavy laden, burdened down, I will give you rest. We must have quietness. Built into our Sabbath routines. And in so doing, we cultivate a Sabbath heart. Let's pray.